Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Health Commissioner Dr. Mary Bassett has tested positive for COVID-19. Governor Kathy Hochul made the announcement early this week in a briefing that also documented the worsening situation in the state as the Omicron variant spreads. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul says Dr. Bassett is experiencing mild symptoms and is self-isolating for the next several days. Her positive test came as part of a daily screening for aides and advisors who come into contact with the governor. Of course, she is vaccinated and boosted, so this would be a breakthrough case, but she's feeling fine, and we're thinking about her and her family and uh, all the New Yorkers who are just having their family plans disrupted because of this virus. New York broke yet another record Sunday with over 23,000 new positive cases reported. To some, the situation feels eerily like early March of 2020 when the pandemic fully hit. But Hochul stresses that we have more weapons available now. We are avoiding a government shutdown because we now have the tools available to all of us. Vaccination, booster shots, Mask. The governor says some good news is that so far the Omicron variant appears to be milder. It's also peaking and then declining more rapidly in countries including South Africa that have already experienced surges. Hochul says the state is taking new steps, though, including opening up more mass vaccination sites to make the shots as well as booster shots more readily available. So far, 40 percent of adults in New York have now received the booster shot. Hochul says state inspectors will now be conducting spot checks to make sure there is compliance with a statewide mask mandate issued December 13th. She had first left it up to local governments to enforce the new rules, but several counties refused, saying they didn't have the resources. The governor says she's distributing $65 million to counties to help them get the word out and to develop online compliance centers to report violations. The state will also distribute 6 million masks to counties so businesses can have them on hand for customers. In addition, 10 million hard-to-find at-home tests will be given out in the coming weeks, including 2 million directly to school children. Hochul says it would make it easier for them to be able to determine their status quickly and, if they test negative, remain in school. We're in a different environment, a different circumstance. And so part of our winter surge plan is we are committed to keeping our schools open. At-home tests will also be distributed to college students to help keep campuses open this winter. Cornell University is among schools that shut down before the end of the fall semester because of the spread of the virus. Hochul, who is running for election next year, continues to receive criticism from some of her opponents, including Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin. He's the leading Republican candidate for governor. Zeldin came to the Capitol to ask Hochul to end the mask mandate, saying it's not necessary. He says if Omicron causes less severe disease, then it's unlikely to overwhelm hospital capacity the way previous variants did. And also, it's going to be a deterrent for getting people to want to get vaccinated if their life isn't going to be returning to normal any faster for many people. Selden says whether or not to wear a mask should be a matter of personal choice. 
Governor Hochul is also revising her November recommendation that all workers be back in person in offices in January. She says she still believes workplaces with vaccination and masking mandates can be safe, but now says it's up to individual businesses to make those decisions. The governor says she's also not ruling out canceling current plans for a limited in-person state-of-the-state speech on January 5th and could hold it virtually if things get worse. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, the program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Well, what a conversation this week you had with District Attorney of Albany, David Soares. And he's one of many now that are calling for another look at bail reform measures, giving judges discretion to determine things like dangerousness, looking at discovery laws and procedures. He stood recently with the State Police Chiefs Association and a number of community members, many of color, demanding to be protected. The shootings are up, particularly in Albany, but in cities across the state, the region, the country. And bail reform is an issue he says most want, but it's gone too far. Yes. Look, everybody deserves bail under our Constitution, under our laws. You deserve to get out of jail if you can produce money that will assure that you will be back. We know that. He knows that. On the other hand, he also knows that there's such a thing as dangerousness. There are people who are very dangerous. They're bailed out, and they do what they did before, and sometimes that's killing. Sometimes it's just robbing. And so what you need to do, he says, and I think he's right, is to give the judges the power to recognize that dangerousness And in some cases to say, no, you're not getting out. And, you know, there is something that needs to be said here, David, and that is much of the pain that is felt in our civil society is visited upon people of color. It isn't right. It's terrible. And the people who need the most protection, and they know it, are people in that community. Look, there are a couple of bad actors. There are some bad actors. But there are millions of wonderful people who need protection for themselves, for their families, for their loved ones. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that the people who are subjected to the worst crime are the people who live in neighborhoods where they need the most protection. And you know what? David Soares is a man of great courage. I really mean that. He could go the way the rhetoricians do and yell and scream and pound his chest. But no, he's concerned about the people in those neighborhoods that he's sworn to protect. And I must say, it takes a lot of guts to do it, but he's doing it. Yeah, he went so far as to say that the progressives, basically, those on the far left who swim in idealism, don't understand how things basically work on the ground in the cities. And he wondered whether any of them had been in any of these affected communities. Well, as I have said over and over again, watching David Soares, he is a magnificent district attorney. He is respected by his colleagues. He's elected. He's in Albany where he has to keep a sharp eye on what the politicians will do, sometimes mistakenly. You know, 
I think of all the people who are talking about do it away with the police. Think about all the people who are saying it was time to um, go soft. And listen, he's a district attorney. He knows his job and he's doing it. Well, this week, the Omicron variant, just like the original COVID-19 virus, this mutation has hit New York. It seems the first and the hardest. The case is jumping day by day over the weekend into this week, Alan. And despite all that, Governor Kathy Hochul says new, no new shutdowns. We also see the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, echoing that. And, you know, no one wants to make that move, as you and I have talked about, largely because of people not being willing to tolerate it. COVID fatigue? Well, it is COVID fatigue. We all have uh, relatives. We were all getting together for Christmas, many of us. And the politicians know that they don't want to be the person who says, no, you can't do that. It's just too painful for too many people. So the alternative, and think about it, David, is that you say to everybody, carry on. And if you carry on, it is in many ways something that will raise the possibility of disease. And we know what COVID can do. So this is not something that comes down to law. Although I have to say, I believe if Kathy Hochul was on the money on this and all politicians, they would understand that this is a time when you cannot tolerate a sort of anything goes attitude. You have to say, if you don't take the vaccine, you will be punished. I believe that, by the way. I believe they should be fined. I believe that there are some who are leading this and leading people to die who should be put in jail. I truly believe it. I think this is one of the worst crises we have ever faced in this country and, frankly, in the world. Uh, and uh, if you're a politician who is leading, you say, okay, my job is, I was elected by the people, there's a lot of rhetoric around, but I want to make sure that people are as safe as they can possibly be. And my job is to make the tough decisions, which may in fact inflame a lot of people, but too bad. That's my job. Well, how about Trump, the president, in your longtime prediction, delay, 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 any action against him. He has sued New York's Attorney General Tish James, seeking to stop investigation into his company, asking a federal court to halt or limit her office's ongoing investigations. He calls it unconstitutional. He calls it political. Again, you've said this is the strategy all along. Just delay it as long as you can and try to make it go away. That's right. Look, this guy, I've always assumed he's going to run for president again. And when you delay, you delay until you can run and potentially win. Look, we have a Voting Rights Act that is coming up in the Congress of the United States. It needs to be passed so that we can have honest elections, the very thing that Trump keeps saying he wants while he's the rigor in chief. They're going around to states where he lost and they're changing the rules so that the people who say, no, you can't do this, lose their jobs and hacks take their places. It's wrong. And we know who's behind it, the rigor in chief. Despite that, investigations go on with the New York State Attorney General, which largely mirrors the Manhattan investigation by Cy Vance, the Manhattan DA currently. And we don't yet know what Vance is going to do. However, DA Alvin Bragg is pledging to focus on the Trump investigations. He's going to be sworn in January 1st. Do we expect this to continue and will amount to anything? Look, I'm a cynic. Look what they do, not what they say. We have a present district attorney in New York County who has been anything but vigorous in pursuing Trump. 
Only goodness knows what the deal is there. But he got the information, but apparently very little has been done with it so far. Now as he's running out the clock, people are saying, well, will you or won't he? Well, he had a lot of time. He didn't do it. End of story. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartoff. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. A new business survey finds employers will keep hiring in the new year, but they're not likely to find recruiting relief. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas reports. According to the results of the Fall 2021 Allant Hiring Index, 86% of Capital Region employers expect recruiting to be difficult, the highest figure since the index began in 2015, while three in four companies forecast hiring to increase in the new year. The pandemic has shaken the job market in unprecedented fashion. Many businesses lost workers during temporary shutdowns. Many either found new jobs or left the labor force. Allant managing partner Miriam Duchesne says the ball clearly is in the job seeker's court. Employees absolutely have the upper hand. So whether they're currently employed or they're looking for a position, um, regardless if they're employed or not, they have a lot more options and or can hold out for the job that's going to work best for them and their family. Duchesne says wages are another factor, as small businesses can't always afford to meet salary demands. Hiring strategies include adjusted recruiting processes, from improving the candidate experience and streamlining the interview and hiring processes, to expediting job offers. Capital Region Chamber President Mark Egan says the Federal Paycheck Protection Program tossed many businesses a lifeline, but a number still had to lay employees off. One of the other challenges was, you know, the federal government was very generous. If you want to un- on unemployment, there was a period of time that instead of the traditional unemployment, you got an extra $600. Then over time, that went from 600 to 300 So there were some companies who were looking to folk- bring folks back in, you know, for, for more of the entry-level position, that that person was making more money staying at home than if they came to work. So since that that retired in September... And I know that a lot of companies have seen more folks applying for jobs right now um, because I think they realize, you know, they, they, they need to they need to get back into the workforce. Of employers allowed surveyed, 67 percent said they're most successfully recruiting employees from within their region. 
Most companies, 53%, say they're not considering remote employees, but nearly the same percentage, 54%, would consider remote workers if they lived locally. In terms of fastest-growing job opportunities, healthcare topped the list at 40%, followed by IT at 28%. Duchesne says that for the first time since the pandemic started, the majority of employers, 59%, said fewer than half of their staff was telecommuting, and more than half of employers, 55%, said they had returned to a regular in-office schedule. Of those that haven't, 82% expect to remain a hybrid or fully remote workforce. I'm still seeing more companies saying that they're open to some type of hybrid model and that it's not one way or the other, where this kind of seems like it's one way or the other. So that stat is interesting. But again, if if other variants of this COVID continue to, you know, become present in our environment, there may be, you know, changes to that. Egan agrees COVID has been a challenge. And then the other element that often isn't talked about, but what is compounding it is um, right now is when we have the highest percentage of baby boomers who are leaving the workforce. A lot more who are leaving it today than they were two years ago before the pandemic. So that's that's even making the, the issue um Uh, even more challenging for most businesses. Duchesne says 82% of employers reported a hiring increase in the fall, besting 51% in the spring and 36% last fall. 67% of survey respondents said they were very optimistic or optimistic about job growth in the new year. Conducted between November 17 and December 10, the survey included responses from 98 hiring and human resource managers from capital region companies. Of those, 53% employ 100 or fewer workers, and 47% employ more than 100. There's a link at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. We're back again this week to continue our conversation with the stakeholders of Clean Path New York, an $11 billion infrastructure public-private partnership project designed to bring clean renewable energy from upstate New York to New York City. With me this week is Justin Driscoll, the interim president of New York's Power Authority, or NIPA. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, David. Great to be with you. Also with us this week, Jeff Blau, the CEO of Related Companies. For the past 25-plus years, Jeff has been responsible for directing and overseeing new developments worth over $60 billion in virtually every sector of the real estate industry. But in this case, he represents a partner with NYPA, an organization called Energy Re. Welcome, Jeff. Good to be here today. And last but not least, Shashank Sane. Shashank is Executive Vice President of Transmission Development at Invenergy, where he's responsible for the multifaceted execution of complex transmission projects, including analyzing the market for new development opportunities, working with customers to commercialize the projects, and building relationships with key stakeholders. Welcome, Shashank. Thank you, David. Great to be here. Can someone just go through a timeline for this project, piece by piece, what comes first, second, and so on, and when you expect to see this fully operational? Shashank. 
I'm uh, happy to jump in there again and and uh, start off. So the the award from NYSERDA from New York State was you know kind of the first step in in a multi-year process that we'll be undergoing. So the announcement was made a, a few weeks ago around the signing of the contracts, and those are now headed to the Public Service Commission uh, for approval. In parallel to that, we are advancing the development and routing work and um, community engagement of the transmission line with the anticipation that towards the end of next year, we'll be submitting what's known as the Article 7 uh, application, which is really the key state-level approval for the the transmission line to actually be built. You know, the NYSERDA contract was really just, uh, it was a commercial arrangement with the state, but in terms of approval to actually build the line, we'll be going through the Article 7 process. That's, again, the key element for the transmission line. For all of the wind and solar projects that we'll be building upstate, those are in various stages of of development. Actually, some of them are actually already under construction, uh, and uh, most specifically our number three wind farm in upstate New York is actually already under construction. And so those will be moving through their development cycle and construction over the next several years, all coming together for the entirety of the project being operational in mid-2027. Shashank, can you draw us a map of where some of these facilities are already being constructed and, you know, the the counties, for example, that'll be affected, where these buried transmission lines will be? Sure. So to be clear, the the construction is is only on the wind and solar uh, facilities to date. Um, And and we've gone through you know the the permitting process, all the county engagement for those and received our approvals to construct those projects. Uh, for the transmission line, you know, we'll be going from uh, Delaware County um, in the central part of the state down into uh, New York City uh, and and um, through the you know the counties in, in the middle there, largely through uh, NYPA's right of way for the first hundred miles, as as was discussed earlier, and then using public roads and and the river. So you know that Article Seven process is the the key uh, process by which we'll be getting the approval from the state and inherently the the communities that we're going through uh, to build the transmission line. So no construction will start on the transmission line until we are through that process. Uh, For the wind and solar facilities, those are are actually pretty well distributed throughout the state, and that was actually quite intentional. Uh, We wanted to make sure, certainly one, that we uh, bring economic development to all parts of the state. Uh, but also that we had a balanced portfolio of both wind and solar facilities and in different regions of the state to have as as, um, as balanced of a profile of generation from those projects as we could. Yeah. And in the energy line that we're talking about, you mentioned Delaware County down in New York City. Will that involve that Article 7, I believe you said, process involve public hearings? Yes, there will be ample opportunities for the public to um, comment on, on our application. There will be public hearings along the way, uh, and, and we look forward to engaging with the communities. We've already, you know, frankly, started to engage with the communities um, in, on you know, uh, smaller bases, but we will be holding you know, open discussions as well. You can learn more about Clean Path New York, of course, at cleanpathny.com. It tells all about the stakeholders and what the project is about and much of what we've been talking about today. Let me ask Jeff or Justin, are there any concerns? Are you Do you have any worries? What keeps you up at night with a major project like this? At this point, are we so far along in the process that you feel it's inevitable to happen? Or, you know, could political winds change things? Or are there, is there anything that you, you worry about when you think about this going forward? 
Justin, I'll I could jump in here. Go ahead, Justin. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, it's such a massive project, and so everything has to be very well uh, sequenced. And, and as you've probably read, you know, around the world, we're facing a lot of supply chain issues and so forth. And so with a project of this size, you always worry about meeting the, the timeline that you've set for yourself. So that would be the only concern that I would have. Of course, we're, we're in the middle of a, a state regulatory process, so we don't want to certainly get out ahead of the Public Service Commission here, which is yet to rule on the NYSERDA submission. But from an operational standpoint, I would just point out you know, just the difficulties in, in project development, and particularly with a project of this size. Jeff. Yeah, so, so I was going to say something similar in, in the sense that this is a very large project. And, you know, as with any large infrastructure project, there, projects, there will be many challenges um, in terms of, of cost and schedule and, as Justin mentioned, supply chain. Having said all that, um, I will say I do think that uh, the political wins to support renewable energy development, uh, generation and transmission in this country is greater than it's ever been. And, and I don't think that we will ultimately have issues around political support for this project. And, and just going you know, one step further, um, I think what the governor did here um, is really transformative for New York State um, and figuring out how to bring this much clean energy from upstate into the urban load centers. I think she's set an example for other states. Nobody's ever really done this before. And it wouldn't surprise me uh, if you start to see other states and, and cities around the country take notice of what happened here and attempt to do similar type projects. So it's, it's great to see uh, New York State and the governor in particular take a, a leadership position on this. And something that you know people look to New York as, as being on the forefront of this change. We've been speaking with Jeff Blau. We just heard the CEO of Related Companies and Energy Re, a partner with NYPA, the New York Power Authority, and with Invenergy in Clean Path New York, an $11 billion infrastructure project that's expected to enable the delivery of clean, renewable energy from upstate New York to New York City, thanks to Justin Driscoll, the interim president of the New York Power Authority, to Shashank Sane at Invenergy, and Jeff Blau again, the CEO of Related Companies with the organization Energy Re. You've got quite an amazing project here. I wish you the best of success, and I hope as we move along through this project and we hit more milestones, you'll come back and give us an update in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2152. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics, for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.